Hey, it's Sound and Groove Podcast, back after a long layoff, did some things in my life, moved around and stuff like that, a lot of big process when you move into your first place, you know, with your significant other, anyhow, so you don't want to hear all the details of it. Suffice it to say, we're uh, going to give you a slew of episodes coming up here on Not the Public Broadcaster, a wonderful uh, look at culture, sports, music, literature, politics, you name it. And here is the Sound and Groove podcast with yours truly, Evan Dobigan. And we're going to give you, if you're not aware of what we do here, a themed podcast episode, about 45 minutes or so, packed with uh, excerpts of songs and me describing them and informing you about them and giving you tidbits of information you might not have known. Anyhow, I haven't done one since, whoa, maybe November. And because of that, I'm kind of due one more from 2016, so this is kind of the last one of 2016, I guess you could say. But then there's going to be a bunch more coming up, three more I, I plan to put out in the next month in a bit. I mean, those plans don't always work out the way they should, but uh, this is my goal. I'm going to have a few different themes for them. A couple of them are going to be two-episode themes. This one is just one, and I'll explain what it is to you right now. It's delivered by mail. It's music talking about sending off, you know, a package, mail, letter, basically delivering using uh, the postal service. So <laughs> we're talking about letters, packages, boxes, parcels, letters, as I said, gifts, Then, if you want to put it that way. Anyhow, uh, the song that I'm going to come up with first for this is a cover of a great Motown hit that was one of the first big ones they had in the early 60s, that record label out of Detroit, Michigan, started by Barry Gordy, of course, and it's Please Mr. Postman, but this is the uh, famous cover version the Beatles did in late 1963 on their f- second LP, I guess it would be, with the Beatles, it was called, the one in the UK anyway. We're going to go by the original you know, UK releases because there was a muddled kind of thing going where the US releases were sometimes different track listings and running orders and different LPs altogether. But then when the CDs were put on the late 80s, they you know, uh, lined up the American audience with the original Parlophone record EMI releases in the UK, <clears throat> which for the most part is for the better because they had tons of tracks on, like 14 or 13 on each one. Anyway, this is from late in 63. The Beatles had conquered England throughout that year with an number of smash hits please please me their debut album was number one for 20 something weeks and i think (laughs) this one here with the beatles knocked it off the number one spot anyway in those days the beatles did a lot of motown covers were uh not immune to covering some girl group songs shirelles and this one was the marvelettes originally in motown and let's hear john lennon take it for the beatles please mr postman on the sound group podcast
All right, there's the Beatles 1963 cover of Please Mr. Postman from With the Beatles. Later heard in the U.S. on an album called Miss, uh, Meet the Beatles, rather. And uh, that's how most of the old people who were around for when the Beatles were <laughs> just hitting the scene remember. And anyway, like your parents and everything like that. About the argument with my dad in my times. But, well, you know, originally we came out on this album. And, and this is how Rubber Soul was in the U.K. And he'd just go, whatever. We had, I've just seen a face uh, on a Rubber Soul in uh, Canada and the U.S. And that's how we remembered it. And, of course, it's true. I've just seen a face was on the B side of help. But was uh, right off, God, maybe the start of side one of the U.S. version of Rubber Soul. But anyway, like I said, all been sorted out. It's a long conversation. You can do a whole podcast on that crap with, you know, Capitol Records fidgeting with the Beatles albums and track listings until they eventually said no more of that. And uh, starting with Sgt. Pepper, everything was the same, except for a few exceptions like Magical Mystery Tour. But anyway, like I said, I could go on about it forever. But anyway, you heard there their distinct harmonies. Is Paul always manages to be heard above the din with his uh, high harmonies on those Beatles tracks, even though John, of course, takes the lead. And George is in there too, but gets buried in the, mi <laughs> the mix a little. And uh, it has a very, you know, trebly sound. They were only using two-track uh, recording consoles then, which is very stand standard, substandard even for the time, but a lot of pop and rock groups were just fobbed off on that crappy equipment there and uh, a lot of the UK rec recording labels. Anyway, so from Please Mr. Postman to another song related to the mail. It's a track called Letter from America, which is by a group, well, maybe just really a duo, you might want to call it, called The Proclaimers from Scotland. And they uh, sort of stood up from the pack and that they sang in their distinct Scottish accents. And they were identical twins, Charlie and Craig Reed. And uh, they were hard to discern from each other vocally and physically. But this song was uh, featured in, I think it was The Commitments or something, a big uh, movie out of uh, the UK in the early 90s. And a lot of their other songs you might have heard in films like, I think, 500 Miles is their distinct song. That would be their <laughs> calling card track, if you want to put it that way. You can hear it in the movie Benny and June. It's a Johnny Depp film. And later, I think they also had I'm On My Way, which is a Shrek. I mean, not specifically done for these movies, but, you know, used years later. Anyhow, um, this is a song about, you know, the uh, immigrant experience of a lot of Celts, you know. People coming from Scotland or Ireland or whatever, trying to find a uh, new life in America and writing back about their experiences. Usually about the railway line, so it talks about, you know, building railways. This is probably 19th century stuff from, you know, Quebec to Miami, that one, the, the, from Miami to Canada. They talk about, I think, well, the border of Quebec or New Brunswick they're talking. Anyhow, this is kind of more of a folksy, whimsical, Scottish-sounding tune, especially with the way their voices come through. Anyway... Why don't we take a listen to Letter from America? Now, the original came out on their 1987 debut album entitled uh, This is the Story. And uh, it was an acoustic-only version. And then they fleshed it out with more of a band arrangement, drums and bass and everything. Produced by Jerry Rafferty, actually, the hit single was. And, of course, he of Baker Street fame. Anyway, that's the version you're going to hear right now. So here's Letter from America, the single version, on the Sound and Group podcast. Take a look up the rail track from 
have it, uh, Letter from America, as they put it in their Scottish brogue, the Proclaimers. Wonderful track, lively little tune on the Sound and Groove podcast on our Delivered by the Mail-themed uh, episode here in 2017, June of 2017, but uh, kind of like a holdover from 2016, so you know, I still got to deliver six this year for the Sound and Groove podcast here on Not the Public Broadcaster, so there's going to be a pile of them coming up, and then I'm kind of trying to resume the every two months sort of routine that I fell out of <laughs> when I put this on hold for a little while. Sorry to all leave you hanging anyway, the listeners we've got. So, how about we move on to another track? This is uh, what I'm going to play for you. It's called Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours. Very well-known, kind of more punchy, raw R&B number of Stevie Wonder. You know, he always uh, kind of bounced back and forth between more pop type of music, you know, with heavy strings and orchestration, kind of the upper middle brow kind of uh, stuff that Motown wanted a lot of its artists to do. Things that were, you know, maybe a little more supper club, adult contemporary for the time, covering like the impossible dream and climb every mountain and old man river. They had, you know, Barry Gray had all, all his artists cut an album of standards and Stevie would do that kind of music. For once in my life became that kind of track. And, uh, but then there was always that hard R&B side to him and that, I mean, no one could have been prepared for the innovations he made in the 70s with synthesizers and stuff and kind of reinventing R&B and funk in his own brilliant uh, way. But uh, this is sort of from one of the last times he really went for that R&B sound, you know, the punchy rhythm section with the horns. And it's from the album Sign Seal Delivered in 1970, which is one of the better ones from his early days before he got his emancipation of sorts from Motown, where he got all artistic control and starting in 1971. Threatened to leave the label when he turned 21, unless they gave him into his demands. They did, and uh, a while didn't really steer to the assembly line system that Barry Gordy had set up for Motown over the years. Uh, it still produced some of the most memorable music ever done, really, whether it be by an R&B or black artist or white artist, doesn't matter. But this is before Stevie really broke free of the shackles of the old teen idol kind of like musical wonder wonderkind kind of thing. Uh, he was only 20 when this came out, or almost 20 at least when it was recorded. So he was just coming out of his teenage years, and he already sounds like a seasoned pro because he'd been recording since he was 12, pretty much. So anyway, here's Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours from Stevie Wonder in 1970, one of his memorable early career cuts on the Sound of Group podcast.
There you go, uh, Stevie Wonder, signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. And that really, that kind of still marked another step in his maturation where he sort of went from being more of a raw uh, bundle of energy to sounding more controlled and assured. And he was mostly writing or co-writing a lot of his material by this point anyway, even though he was under the Motown, you know, studio hours rules and they basically dictated creative content and assigned writers and producers and musicians to him. And then he started cutting all his records on his own. Motown moved up to L.A. by the time really he got going with that whole run of uh, great albums. And it really doesn't sound anything like that quite yet. It's not as innovative or groundbreaking, but Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours is a perfect example of why he could have been, you know, a soul star if he wanted to go that direction. You know, sing some kind of Wilson Pickett type of music. And really there he sounds a bit like Wilson Pickett. He kind of, um, you know, foreshadows what Al Green would try to do in the 70s, that bringing the Memphis soul sound to a different level, a more slick 70s level of uh, intimacy. There, Stevie's just going all out. I mean, that's one of the more unvarnished, unpolished cuts that Motown would let him release, basically. He sounds just, it's very tight groove and everything, too. So that's a wonderful cut right there, and he's at the top of his game in, what, 1920, and there was more to come. He didn't just stay in that vein, you know, like I said. So that's a great uh, Delivered by Mail song. And all, I hope they all are, in your mind, at least they are to me, that's why I picked them. Duh. So, uh, what do we got now? Eh. Ah yes, it's Ray LaMontagne, an album who, or a guy who debuted in the early 2000s. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere and really evoked the late 60s sort of rustic thing, uh, like music from Big Pink era band and Van Morrison and his Woodstock days, you know, up, up in... Uh, upstate New York in the late 60s, early 70s, and a kind of raspy type of uh, hard-to-decipher voice, but really unique-sounding, and sounded almost R&B and soul-like. But uh, he quit his job in a factory in the late 90s. He was in his uh, mid-to-late 20s and decided to become a singer-songwriter. And this track, Write You a Letter, is from uh, an EP he did called Green, which were kind of just demos um, that uh, he'd uh, put together before he got his uh, first recording contract and was able to uh, uh, then rise to prominence with an album called Trouble in 2004. Anyway, you can hear it's very folk-oriented. He's got his harmonica and his acoustic guitar, but of course, demos often sound like that. And it's a nice little tune, so <laughs> that's uh, still, that shows you how if a song can be played in this format or in a big or fleshed-out arrangement and be good either way, that really tells you the quality of it. And he's a very acclaimed singer-songwriter, and rightfully so. These days, there aren't many who can do it like him. So here's Ray LaMontagne with uh, Write You a Letter on the Sound of Groove podcast. If I told you how I'm feeling And how my heart was always reeling Then maybe you could understand Me a little better If I was to write you a letter I 
have I told you how I worry? Yes, and how I always seem to hurry. Then maybe you will understand me a little better. If I was to write you a letter Okay, there it was a very early cut from the career of Ray LaMontagne. It was uh, from 2002, uh, EP called Green. or a series of demos uh, that he put out uh, that helped him get a recording contract with uh, RCA and... Put him on the map two years later with Trouble. That was uh, Write You a Letter. And uh, you can hear it. It's, it's very like acoustic-oriented, uh, that track, at least, with uh, the harmonica and everything. It's like Neil Young. But it's written kind of like it's a Roy Orbison track with the chord progression there, actually. and um, Or George Harrison, even, the diminished chord sound. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, he uh, really sounds like he could have been writing for Otis Redding. Otis Redding had tracks like that. If he was a little more folksy... I mean, but Otis wrote Sitting on the Dock of the Bay and stuff, and that's what a lot of uh, Ray LaMontagne's music sounds like, at least to me. He does have that Otis Redding vibe to his music. There's horns to it, Trouble particularly, which became a minor hit. Uh, the title track of his first album uh, really is it's, 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 it's uh, stirring. It's amazing how it evokes a soul singer like Otis Redding. There's a lot of soul to the music of Ray LaMontagne. It's not really that wooden kind of uh, hippy-dippy stuff you expect to hear from a guy in his acoustic guitar. Anyway... Let's go to the next track now on the Sound and Groove podcast here. It's uh, an oldie but goldie from Elvis Presley and his uh, return to the pop world in the early 60s after his little stint in the army. Came back and wasn't so much rock and roll anymore to change with the uh, shifting tastes of the American record buying public, which rock and roll had uh, been buried under and been considered dead. Of course, that wasn't true when the British Invasion hit. It showed that rock and roll was really here to stay as the Danny and uh, and the All-Stars song said, or whatever. <laughs> Danny and the Juniors, pardon me. Anyway, this is uh, for, uh, one of his big hits from the 60s, where his you know, chart uh, success started to dwindle until he, you know, he was focusing mostly on movies, and it's called Return to Sender. It's a lively, bouncy, doo-wop type of number with some uh, low kind of baritone saxophone accompaniment and everything. It's not necessarily one of the most rocking Elvis songs, but it's more endearing to his 50s uh, crowd and it sounds more like those prime recordings than anything that he would cut later as his 60s records started to worsen. This song, of course, is, uh, uses the uh, lyrical situation of sending off a letter and getting it back because the person doesn't live in that address or that address doesn't exist, etc., etc., kind of a, using that in a relationship uh, angle. Anyway, here it is from 1962. It's Elvis Presley with Return to Sender on the Santa Group podcast. Return to Sender. I gave a letter to the postman He put it in his sack Bright and early next morning He brought my letter back She wrote upon it Return to sender Address unknown No such number No such song We have 
passing a special deed Bright and early next morning It came right back to me She rolled up on it Returned to Cinder Address unknown No such person No such zone This time I'm gonna take it myself Here we had Elvis Presley with his uh, 1962 smash hit, Return to Sender. You'll hear him uh, refer to Zone in the song, No Such Zone. It used to be the U.S. Postal Codes went by Zones instead of what they do now, which are called Zip Codes. Anyway, just a little tidbit there for you. Uh, and uh, well, let's get right into talking about the next song. It's called Pretty Paper. And it's kind of like uh, about you know writing holiday greetings, like cards for gifts and stuff like that, uh, you know, wrapping and everything like that, you know, the festive things when it comes to uh, presenting your presents <laughs> to someone. And Willie Nelson wrote it way back in 1963 based on a street vendor who would sell pencils and papers on the streets of his, uh, of um, where he lived in Fort Worth, Texas, or at least, you know, uh, when he lived in Fort Worth, Texas back in the old days. And the man used to call out, pretty paper, pretty papers. He'd sell paper and pencils in front of a department store. So uh, he wrote the song in 1963, and it was pitched to Roy Orbison, who recorded it. And it was not a major hit for him, but one of his, distinct enough to make most of his greatest hits collections, actually. It peaked at number 10, I believe. Or, sorry, number 15 on the, I'm trying to remember that, you know, write this information down. It peaked at number 15. And it was kind of a Christmassy song. You know, it's a holiday song. So Willie recorded his own version uh, when he when his solo career was taking off at that point, uh, after of course he wrote a lot of smash hits like crazy for other artists like Patsy Cline did crazy of course, and he would re-record the song several times as Willie's want to do. I mean his his recorded discography catalog is enormous, and of course in that uh, you know enormous oeuvre if I want to you know to use a fancy word, uh, Willie would have a few repeats of a few songs that you'd heard him do before he'd uh, re-record. Anyway, uh, we're gonna play. A version from 1997 on an album called Hill Country Christmas that he did with his uh, sister, Bobby Nelson. Anyway, here it is on the Sound of Groove podcast. Pretty paper, pretty ribbons of blue. Wrap your presents to your darling from you. Pretty pencil. Right, I love you Pretty paper Pretty ribbons of blue Crowded streets Busy feet Hustle by Downtown shoppers Christmas is nigh There he sits, all alone on the sidewalk Hoping that you won't pass him by Should you stop, better not, much too busy 
You better hurry My how time does fly And in the distance The ringing of laughter And in the midst of The laughter he cried Pretty paper Pretty ribbons of blue Wrap your presents To your darling from you And yes, there's a song has become a Christmas standard over the years. Pretty paper. Willie Nelson first popularized by Roy Orbison. But... Uh, Identify well with Willie. A lot of his uh, versions of it, especially that one, get played around that festive time of year, as you uh, may be aware of. So, uh, yeah, that's another song about mailing off a package of sorts, you know, delivering through the mail. A uh, intended well-wishing, I guess you could call it, uh, during the Christmas season. You know, whatever you want to say. It's like you send a letter. You send. Those are one of the only ways that people still send letters, I guess, is uh, Christmas greetings and gifts through uh, the mail. Because, uh, you know, email and everything's made it so much easier, hasn't it? Oh, well, anyway, we won't get into a debate about the technology and all that crap. <laughs> so, moving on, how about a song from a band that was pretty much a one-man group called World Party. And this thing was born out of the mind of Carl Wallinger, who at one point was a member of the Waterboys. Uh, well, they went, went in a Celtic direction later, but they were sort of more of a... Um, new wave kind of punky sounding group that still is really hard to categorize the big music is the way that the leader of that group mike scott put it and it was drew from a lot of different celtic influences but also sort of like the new wave and the punk rock scene he melded that with you know he even had a sax player anthony thistlewaite or anton thistlewaite formed the group with him and he uh, sounded a lot like van morrison at times it's kind of like a u2 Mm, I don't want to call it sound-alike, but uh, similar to them. Not really rivals in that they didn't really dominate the charts, but The Hole of the Moon was one of their significant hits, and it won an Ivor Novello Songwriting Award, although it won it, I think, six years after it came out because of its re-release or whatever. It became a hit years later, anyway. And Carl Wallinger was in a group for a few years, I think from 83 to 85, and played an instrumental sound in you know, the big, huge... Uh, dense production and heavily heavy keyboards that would go with it. Nothing synthesized mostly, but heavy keyboard sound because that was his main instrument. But he could play a lot of different other instruments, and he was a one-man group pretty much. And he put that ethos to work on a debut album in late 1986 called Private Revolution. Then in 1990 came an album called Goodbye Jumbo that was heavily regarded and very much more Beatle influence, a very psychedelic kind of work. Yeah, he was a big fan of them, sort of that 60s pop rock sound, a little bit, you know, backwards loops and stuff like that. But also a big fan of Prince. He really loved his funky sounds. You have all those kind of elements melding into that album, which is it's a, fa it's a fine album. It's not so wholly original, but great songwriting on it. Fantastic uh, work, production-wise and everything. And it's called, like I said, Goodbye Jumbo. But this particular track off, it's called Put the Message in the Box. And, uh, yeah, you'll really get a sense of what World Party is about. Very Beatle reminiscent, but uh, not quite the same. Updated for an 80s, early 90s sound. Anyway, here it is. Let's play it. Put the message in the box from World Party back in 1990. Good memories listening to the cassette of this version when I was a youngin' and car rides and everything like that. So planted the seed early for me to appreciate this album. Anyhow, let's uh, spit it for you here on the Sound of Group podcast right now.
says, give a little bit, give a little bit of your love to me. Yeah, there was a wonderful uh, world party with Put the Message in the Box from 1990. Carl Wallinger basically, like I said, played most of the instruments and the vocals. You can hear all the multi-tracking going on in that particular recording. Uh, that was more of a guitar-driven album than the first one he did. He sort of uh, went to more of that 60s traditional sound, I guess you could say, that uh, for the ro for pop rock rather than the more uh, fancy 80s, highly technological Thing that he was going for on his previous release, which came about hmm, somewhere just under four years before this one was released. And uh, right there, you can definitely, I, there's some funny sounds on it too, like that organ kind of sounds like something you would hear out of, you know, Jerry Lewis and the Playboys, or sorry, Gary Lewis and the Playboys, my bad, but something you would hear out of those little uh, AM radio ditties from the 60s. And, uh, you know, the, the harmonies are very Beatle-oriented. But there's also some Beach Boys in there where he does the high harmonies like you'd hear on a surf song. Woo-woo, that thing. Anyway, uh, that is uh, just an example. Carl Wallinger was like, you know, a sponge <clears throat> soaking up all the, <laughs> the great influences from that era that he was so fond of. Anyhow, that uh, is another classic delivered by the male song, in my opinion. That's why I picked it. Now here we're going to go with an English folk rock artist i say english because that was where he you know, started off in that traditional english folk that goes back centuries <clears throat> when he was in the group fairport convention this is richard thompson he was a very young lad then and he was a unique guitar player that he played like it was acoustic very jangly a lot of um, bends and hammer-ons and hammer-offs sort of uh, turning the electric guitar into a more of a flexible instrument it's hard to explain his style is very kind of uh fluid i guess is a good way to put it and this is from his first solo album after breaking up with his wife linda they were did you know records in conjunction for many years richard and linda thompson after his solo debut it was pretty much he and his wife putting out records and it culminated in their 1982 classic shoot out the lights which some of it was it was written recorded or written anyway before their marriage was on the rocks and then most of it you know was done by then and so it was sort of a prophetic because a lot of the songs sound like it could be metaphors for a crumbling marriage and stuff and amidst all that turmoil kind of like Fleetwood Mac with rumors where everybody in that band was sort of going through their own marriage rocky relationship struggles uh, that produced the great work of their uh, time as our collaborative artists and maybe of Richard Thompson's entire catalog but he's put a great record for years as a has an arresting vocal style but an incredibly skilled guitarist a finger-picking style guitarist a lot of the time and uh, I mean, he can really rock out, but he he finds that rockabilly flavor, but puts it with English folk music, which is, I know, it's an English, it's an interesting combination. And anyway, in 1983, after their split, he put out his first solo record since his debut in 1972, which was called Henry the Human Fly, which came after his departure from Fairport Convention. And uh, it was a fine album itself. It wasn't quite shoot at the lights, but this song on it's one of the more jaunty mm, compositions, I would call it. It was on there, and it's called Tear Stained Letter. And you can really get a sense of the, uh, sort of, it's sort of like a barroom kind of uh, English folk Celtic kind of dance tune. I would probably, you know, describe it anyhow. I'll let, I'll let you really formulate your own conclusions on it anyway. Oh, right. And the album, <laughs> I didn't even say, it was called Hand of Kindness. And uh, Thompson followed up with a lot of decent albums in the 80s, but didn't really reemerge in the 
eyes of a lot of critics and sort of uh, you know the record buyers out there until an album called Rumor and Sign 1991 that kind of revived his uh, career a bit. And throughout the 90s and 2000s, he's put out albums that uh, always you know appeal to his uh, small but loyal fan base. Actually, I, m- I remember seeing him at the Calgary Folk Festival <laughs> briefly from far away. If I could go back in time, I'd be a little more into it and excited than I was then. I just recall uh, him cracking a joke about... Uh, a song he was about to play, I don't even know what, if it's on any of his records. It was kind of like a goofy dance number about a mummy and using, you know, puns about mother and stuff with that, like a dancing mummy. And at the end, you know, he got the hippies on the crowd going and they were all excited about that number. And at the end he goes, oh, well, uh, you all seem to like that one. Uh, keep it simple in Calgary, I guess. Uh, that's what they set up in Edmonton. And it was like, boom, he's got all the material for this audience. <laughs> like a Borscht Belt comedian, he's got uh, the local jokes all picked out. Anyway. That I found amusing. <laughs> anyway, I remember uh, from it. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, there's some really good albums for his to discover. I think one of the more high-profile things you'll have uh, maybe or maybe not have heard him do was the soundtrack to the Werner Herzog documentary, Grizzly Man. But on his own, he's put up plenty of fantastic albums and everything like that. And uh, without, you know, his stuff with Linda is very good. I mean, she just always managed to sound quintessentially English and deliver his songwriting work fantastically so uh we'll get to it now here on the delivered by mail themed podcast episode of the sound of groove podcast by the way here on the wonderful website not the public broadcaster.com check it out if you are interested in all the other fascinating uh, aspects of the site here but if not just keep listening to sound of groove podcast like i said i've had a lot of a back catalog you can discover on itunes on my blog page, and I'll all be links to it here on the episode page for it, by the way. And uh, so, yeah, let's move on now and hear it. Tear Stained Letter from Richard Thompson on the Sound of Group Podcast. Thank you. 
There was 1983's Tear Stained Letter from Richard Thompson that uh, kind of sounds a bit like, you know, um, a rockabilly song or kind of a 50s rock song with the screaming, uh, honking saxophones uh, mixed with, like, sort of an English pub-style music, too, you know. Anyway, that sounded culinary, didn't it? Well, didn't uh, didn't intend it to be, but anyway, that will be the last song of this podcast, the sixth one officially of 2016, although it's come out way later. We're going to get started with six new episodes of 2017 coming up here with uh, all kinds of exciting themes that I hope you'll uh, really dig. And uh, basically, yeah, this one uh, is kicking off a whole long streak of them that I intend to have put out. And uh, so I hope you join me on that next one. I hope you enjoyed this one, uh, the Delivered by Mail podcast theme episode for the Sound of the Group podcast on not, not the public broadcaster.com. Also on my own uh, blog page, musicofevansmind.blogspot.com. Yeah, there are people who still use Blogspot. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> anyway, uh, so let's uh, bid you adieu for this week, and or this month anyway, and uh, we'll join you again. I don't know if it'll be a week or two or three, you know, these things kind of uh, come up uh, unplanned, but this summer will be rife with uh, podcast-themed episodes, I can promise you that. And we're going to try to deliver you six here in 2017, six more than the, the one we're currently talking about and you're listening to now. Anyway, I'm done talking. That's it for the Sun Group Podcast this month. Talk to you later. Goodbye. <laughs>